from Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. From Jersey City, I'm Erica Ducey. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. Guys, what's going on? It's cold in New York. I'm not into this. It is the 17th. <laughs> At least your air is breathable. That's uh that's an improvement. Yeah, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good response. Thanks, Zach. Way to bring us all down. <laughs> you know, At least you can breathe. You're out here bitching about the cold, man. You just you just gave us a hard time about all we talk about is the weather, and that's right where you led us. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry that it that the seasons are changing, Adam. What a bummer. Do you guys like is fall like are you just people who are like fall is your favorite season? Oh yeah, I'm definitely a fall is my favorite season. I uh, already have pulled out my bourbons and my cognac and I am ready for fall. Wait, already. Erica, I'm sorry. The way you said that, it sounds like you've got like a little drawer and you put them all away for the season, just like your sweaters. And then you bust them all out and you put away all of your, do you really do that? Okay. Don't forget, <laughs> don't forget that I'm in the midst of a res- renovation. So I had to send my husband to his studio to dig through all of our boxes in order to find said bottles <laughs> that is hilarious it is true though bourbon does drink well in the fall it really does i had them last night i can't argue what'd you have uh basil hayden we're we're actually I, I lied to you all at the beginning i'm actually not in seattle we uh my wife and son and i decamped for uh woodby island last night so we got to the we got to the uh to the rental and uh definitely poured my as soon as my son was in bed i <laughs> poured myself a, a rather tall glass of bourbon because it was a stressful day trying to pack with a two-year-old and toxic clouds of smoke you know Do you know what so. i gotta say this is this is what i think is pretty interesting and maybe you guys have this too my my dad always when we take a family drive like when we were driving somewhere for a vacation he always when we would get there he'd unpack the car he'd get us all situated and then he always poured himself a glass of bourbon or a gin and tonic or whatever and i feel like i picked up that habit as well and there's like nothing like a glass of some sort of libation at the end of a long trip. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. It's really there's just like something about it that's really awesome. <laughs> it is. It's so it's so gratifying, so relaxing. And and these days I'm just looking forward to the end of the day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when when I can have that uh just cracked open Russell's reserve last night and uh, oh, there it you hit go. the spot. Yeah, it's it's something that I think has become all the more so for me once uh my wife and I had a kid. Because, you know, pre-kid or in life without a kid, I think the transition between like evening and nighttime is a little bit like, eh, whatever. But there is a huge difference in the quality of my life when my son is asleep versus when he is still awake. (laughs) And I love him dearly, but like the moment he's asleep or at least in bed and we can shut the door, it's like, okay, now I can actually like relax a little bit. Maybe I have a conversation with my wife, watch a TV show. And the the glass or two or whatever after that is, is a big part of that experience in a way that pre-child it just wasn't the same be interesting i can second that i can (laughs) yeah so today we're talking about one of my favorite wine regions um bordeaux so uh you guys may not have known this but uh you know a few years ago i was the u.s champion of the bordeaux cup which is a blind tasting Bordeaux competition that I did while I was in business school, which was super fun, but it won really? me a free trip to Bordeaux. Yeah. Myself and uh, Dan Amatuzzi, who is now the VP of Italy, uh, beverage at Italy. So all Italy's nationwide entered together. Uh, this was just as Vine Pair was starting and we, it's, it's a run through the commandery. Uh, so basically the, you know, the, the guys in really fancy 
old Bordeaux garb from all of the, you know, famous 1855 classification chateaus hold this competition every year. Um, and they target, you know, they want people to enter who are not specifically like trained professionally with sommeliers, but are interested in wine. Um, and they actually go to promote it through like business schools, med schools, law schools, things like that. And that's mm-hmm. how we heard about it was when we were, you know, through NYU. Um, and we entered and we won the U.S. competition. We beat Yale, which was dope. And then we got a trip. That's to- right. Go Violets. Yeah. And then we got this like trip to Bordeaux, which was sick. And then there was a, a grand championship or like, you know, ultimate championship in the cellar of Lafitte. where we had like the final tasting and it was like we were the u.s team there was obviously there's a european team but then because it's they're french there's also a french team so like there's like one team can win (laughs) europe and then there's a team that can win france um there was a team from china a team from japan it was really cool and we got to meet i got to meet like wine lovers from around the world which was also really interesting all you know people in their like late 20s early 30s um it was awesome but it gave me this really you know, massive love for Bordeaux. And so then like, after I came out of all that and, you know, Vine Pair was in its infancy, I think we were like, maybe we'd been publishing for six months at that point. Uh, you know, I started to, to uncover this sort of like, I guess, snobism in the world of New York against Bordeaux that I was like, oh my God, I've discovered this region that's so amazing. And then I'm, you know, I'm talking to all these, you know, young, you know, wine professors like, oh no, 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 Bordeaux is not cool. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm so confused. Look at all these dudes in like crazy old garb that are like, you know, talking to me in French. That's the coolest. I mean, you know, it felt very like, you know, I don't know. Also, there was a welcome dinner. And now I'm just talking a lot about this, this, this experience. There was a welcome dinner. They made us all wear like really old school, like not berets, but like French hats, like straw hats. (laughs) They're all like, it was just like, it was absolutely hilarious. And like, they also made us, they made us have like a singing competition. Naomi, I know you don't listen to the podcast, but please post a picture. No, she wasn't on there. Instagram. She wasn't there. Oh, yeah. It was only. It was yeah. I mean, it was it was an awesome experience, though. I mean, it was like I don't know. It was something that you I you know I don't think I'd ever get to do again. Um, and just getting to experience like the region and those those wines was just really epic. Um, I don't know how I didn't have gout afterwards, uh, but <laughs> but besides that, like it was a pretty it was a pretty epic experience. So yeah, I mean, I just think you know, there's something about Bordeaux that is you know, has always been really, uh, you know, classic and is something that's very easy, especially for Americans to fall in love with because it's grapes that we know, you know, it's, I mean, it's where those grapes were born, but we're, we're used to Cabernet because we love Napa Cab and Cabernet is from Bordeaux. We're used to, you know, the flavors of Merlot because a lot of us like Merlot if we didn't watch uh, Sideways and get swayed by a movie. Um, And so we love right bank Bordeaux. And so I think there's just, there's so much in Bordeaux and yet, and yet, no one is really drinking it. So I'd like to first ask you, Zach, when do you think like the the wine professional community sort of turned on Bordeaux? And I don't mean turned on Bordeaux like, oh fuck Bordeaux, we're done. But just kind of decided that like it wasn't it wasn't cool to drink it anymore. Because they haven't turned on Burgundy, right? They haven't turned on Barolo and and to some extent, you know, uh Brunello, maybe a little bit Brunello as well. Um but they, re- but they really did. And, you know, we had like the two or three years ago, the, you know, the, the organization that supports Bordeaux in the U.S., the CIVB come to us and be like, you know, Bordeaux has an image problem amongst wine professionals. Is that true? And if it is true, why? Yeah. So good question. I think there is definitely an image problem, but it's kind of two different problems. The first is that there's this issue where 
what are generally considered the great wines of Bordeaux, the first growth Bordeaux, the second growth Bordeaux, and, and to reference that 1855 classification, are really like, if you are an up-and-coming wine professional like I was, um, still maybe arguably am, those are not wines anymore that you get a chance to try. Like, not even can you not afford to buy them, especially the first growths. You know, they go for thousands of dollars a bottle these days for the most part. But also, you you don't get a chance to even taste them because for the most part, those wines have a, an audience that is sort of already built in. It's collectors the world over. It's, you know, fine dining restaurants, three-star Michelin restaurants, et cetera. And so they're not the, the the chateaux that are at that level are not really interested in cultivating a reputation with sommeliers like me. I mean, I, I don't mean that absolutely, but in general, I think that's the case. And even the second growths and, and third growths, you know, some of the more um, maybe slightly more affordable wines as you move down that tier are still quite expensive. And for a lot of younger people, myself included in the profession, you just find that whether it's there's more access to the producers at, in lesser known regions or more access to the wines or you can afford yourself to drink them. Um, that's just a reality, I think, that is hard to escape at this point because the wines have become so famous and so sought after and such a status symbol that they really kind of escape you know, in the same way that some of the great Grand Cru uh, Burgundies have as well. They're just not a wine that me, even as a professional 15 years in, can can get access to with, with very few exceptions. The other problem for Bordeaux, I think, and it, it sort of it cuts against this, is that Bordeaux is also a huge region that produces a ton of wine. And where Bordeaux, I think, has really struggled, and, and maybe this is what the CIVB was getting at with you, even if they didn't say it directly, is there's a lot of great relatively affordable Bordeaux, but that is, but it's almost hurt by its association with these great wines because the average consumer and even a lot of sommeliers think, ah, you know, Bordeaux is for old white dudes and Bordeaux is for my parents or my grandparents and Bordeaux, I can't afford it. And my clientele can't afford it. And that's bullshit. I mean, there's a lot of really good, reasonably priced Bordeaux from, from all over the region, really. That is, you know, I mean, you can find on a wine list that's 70, 75, 80 bucks, often has a decent amount of age on it because often back vintages are easier to find in Bordeaux than almost anywhere else. And, and I will, I'll come back to the topic of sort of ageability and, and aging as a, as a necessity in a minute. But, but I think that's the problem is that the, the, the market for Bordeaux and the reputation of Bordeaux is really bifurcated and the high end gets a lot of attention and is well known, but it's not something that people can buy and afford. And the, the, let's say, I'm going to say low end in terms of quality, just the lesser known stuff is really less known than even like shit in the Jura or Languedoc or these other lesser known regions, because, you know, I guess, again, there's sort of this association with these great wines and it doesn't, it's not cool to champion Bordeaux. So congrats to you, Adam, for being uncool. Hey, you know what? First of all, I'm the coolest. Second of all, uh, are you really willing to go out? So you're, would you say that the 1855 classification was the best and also the worst thing to ever happen to the region of Bordeaux? Oh, goodness. Well, I mean, if we're not talking about like, that hot you know, take, the Norman Zach, take that hot like take. That. Uh, no, I mean, I think the honest truth is that, that the 1855 classification is like one of these things that creates marketability for the wines that are classified, the wineries that were classified in it, uh, especially the ones at the top of the market. And look, it's taken, you know, the Lafitte's and the Margot's to a level of success and, and reputation that, that almost no other wine can match and certainly, you know, is going to be something that they're you know, highly defensive of and, and remain that way. I think though, as if you're looking at the region as a whole and the region, um, you know, kind of um, it's, it's sort of reputation on the world market. I don't think it's hurt Bordeaux, but it again has contributed to this idea that 
all Bordeaux is this, you know, in- expensive luxury item that I can't afford. Um, or I guess you buy, find a bottle for 20 bucks and you assume, oh, this must be crap because how could Bordeaux be this cheap? I don't know. But but I've talked a lot, Erica. I mean, you, you have as much time in this industry as I do. What, what's your take? Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. I think that Bordeaux has also developed this uh, reputation as being the man of the wine industry. So the establishment and, you know, and then when you think of Bordeaux as the thing that like all the old critics love or all your parents or grandparents used to drink, then kind of by definition, anyone who is like, young and up and coming and a disruptor, they're looking for what is the anti that. So I think that's when we saw a lot of the other up and coming regions, we saw more organics and, uh, you know, natural wine, we've just seen Psalms, especially, I think, moved in a different direction. And, you know, to to some extent, wine drinkers move in a different direction of wanting to try new and different. And so it's that it's that novelty of trying the new and different that I think uh, really has captured a lot of the wine industry and also wine drinkers. Um, But I think that, you know, when I think about Bordeaux and I actually love that it is super uncool right now because the my favorite thing to do is, and I, I just did this this summer in Connecticut, I love going to wine stores and uh, I just opened one of these wines last night, actually. I had um, a Chateau Maine, uh It's a um, Bordeaux wine from Santa Estef. Uh, it's a beautiful wine. I found it on, it was uh, on wine.com last night. I saw it for $39. Well, I found it on a dusty shelf in a wine store in Connecticut for $28. And I love finding those sorts of wines because they're so geeky and like no one knows about them. And these are these value wines that this was a 2012, a 2012 wine, a wine with age. It provides like wines from Bordeaux at this like lower price level provide such insane value because no one's looking for them. And I find them all the time in wine shops. And it's, it's literally like one of my most fun activities to do. And I wish that I could be spending way more time in wine shops looking for these dusty bottles. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with that as well. It's one of my favorite activities too. I think that people kind of are sleeping on it, but the one thing I want to bring up that I kind of want to challenge the, the sort of both of you said, which is that, you know, because they are so expensive uh, because no one knows about you know knows about the smaller chateaus, but because the critics have loved these wines, et cetera, they've become uncool. But that hasn't stopped Burgundy at all. So look, I love Burgundy. I think that Pinot Noir is a gorgeous grape. Check out Keith's Wine One Hundred One episode this week on Burgundy. Like Burgundy's great, but it has it had all the same, and if not more, of the pretension. You literally had communes who named renamed themselves to make sure you knew a, a Grand Cru vineyard was in their commune. Right, like this is a this is also a region uh, that is incredibly expensive. That is even more expensive, right? But and it has a lot of producers whom you've never heard of. But it's a village, and so you're like, well, shit, it's a village from Burgundy. So I guess I might I still have to pay sixty dollars for it. And it hasn't stopped anyone in the wine industry from saying, no, that's not cool anymore either because it's too expensive and it's gotten too inflated and none of us can afford it. It's actually made them go after it more so that they look more like ballers. So there's something else about Bordeaux that people have decided they don't like. 
or because it's it's the one it's become the one thing that everyone in group think in the wine community has decided is cool to not like but it, it it's not just because it's super expensive because if if that was the case they wouldn't drink champagne and either right so i don't buy that uh, i mean i think there's a there's some kernel of truth to what you're saying where you know, I think what makes Burgundy appealing to sommeliers in particular is the degree of specificity and the degree of sort of ability to nerd out on a subject. You know, part of the challenge with Bordeaux is that the the classification of 1855 is attached to producers, not to pieces yes. of land particularly. And so with Burgundy, you end up with this idea that, you know, whether it's true or not, and, and I have my doubts, and, and look, we can we can get into my Burgundy skepticism now or another podcast. But the there's there's a there is a conviction among a, a large portion of the sommelier set and the people that listen to them that you know that ability to to trace a wine to not just a village, not just a vineyard, but in some cases, you know, single rows of vines or a few rows of vines that that is not the case in Bordeaux. I mean, Bordeaux is large production. You know, even the the, the first growths are, you know, they make a lot of wine. Um, they don't always tell you exactly how much they're making in a given year. And the, again, the reputation is attached to the winery, to the chateau, not to the piece of land. And so I think to some extent, you know, Bordeaux and, and Burgundy are often illustrated as, you know, kind of two different approaches to to classifying wine. And, and I think, you know, most of the world of wine has, has moved in the direction of Burgundy. It's why Barolo is creating you know, their own classified, you know, vineyards and many other regions around the world. No one is really saying, oh, we're going to take the Bordeaux model. We're going to just say, hey, this winery is great. So we're going to call all of their wine first growth. Like that's just not what anyone in the world of wine outside of Bordeaux really thinks is the right way to approach it anymore. And maybe it made sense 165 years ago. I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense now. And and so I think what you're what you're finding is, you know, the the Burgundy point is is good, but I think there's a lot of sommeliers, and again, I'll include myself in here, who who are as equally boxed out by Burgundy as they are by Bordeaux. You know, there's just the 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 let alone the Grand Cru wines, the Premier Cru wines are for the most part out of my price range. You know, when I was running restaurant programs, I was able to put a few on a list, maybe, you know, if I got a good deal or found something that was on closeout. But, you know, if I want to put a, a well-known Premier Cru Vineyard Burgundy on my list, it's three or 400 bucks minimum from a producer who is, you know, reasonably well-known. Not We're not talking about people who are considered the, the absolute pinnacle. And that's just a price point that in most restaurants in most parts of the country is not going to move. You know, you can put it on the list. And part of the reason I have it on there is so that the one time every two months someone comes in and wants that, I have a bottle for them. And, and I think that's important to do, but it's not going to generate a whole lot of volume sales. And neither is, you know, the the high end of Bordeaux or any region, to be fair. I just think that what you're what you've seen is is a move away from Bordeaux that happened when Burgundy was a little more affordable, and then a move away from all of those wines because people my age and younger, our age and younger, can't afford any of that shit. You know, they just they have to get into wine other places. And maybe Burgundy is an easier reference point because, like I said, you know, uh it's easier to understand why a Burgundy costs a thousand dollars when you look at, okay, here's the tiny part of a vineyard that it comes from and they make, you know, 250 bottles a year. So yeah, this bottle's gonna cost fifteen hundred dollars. It's a lot harder to make that argument in Bordeaux, except for like, well, it's got a lot of history and and marketing behind it essentially and i mean those are valid things but it's not necessarily as easy for a sommelier or an, a wine aficionado or even someone who's just getting interested in it and has maybe the money to spend to see the connection to the the scarcity that comes with burgundy that just doesn't seem to come with bordeaux okay got some thoughts here yeah i mean i think it's it's also that more estates in uh in 
in Bordeaux are owned by corporations versus, and they, they don't quite have the same allure as some of the Burgundy uh, estates that, you know, are, you know, know, 10th generation family. They all have been working the land themselves. You know, there's a different ethos uh, in Burgundy than there is in Bordeaux that feels much more um, producer, you know, terroir focused. No, totally. totally. So I think that that just, you know, really appeals to people in the industry, whereas, uh, you know, they kind of sometimes question um, the value that some of these big, you know, corporations are bringing to these Bordeaux chateaux. Um, So I think that's, I mean, that seems to be like one of the the disconnects that I hear from people in the industry. I mean, I've heard a lot, obviously, right, that like, the way people compare is, you know, Burgundy is the is the land of farmers and Bordeaux is the land of businessmen or Bordeaux is the, is the region that was made famous by London. Whereas Burgundy was the region that was, you know, embraced by, you know, Paris, yeah, right. That these, totally. these, these two kinds and these two kinds of styles, Bordeaux, much more powerful, um, bigger wines, um, you know, Burgundy very much more about finesse. But I, again, I, I think that that's all well and good. I just think it's, it's interesting that we, you know, we th- we want to immediately quickly just say it's it's about the 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 price because there's just so many you know gems in bordeaux that aren't that way that i think it actually does make it more accessible for a lot of people and i do also wonder if bordeaux will become more popular recently because i don't know if you guys follow a lot of uh you know basketball stars but i do and a lot of these guys <laughs> who you know in the nba who are really into wine who have massive followings mostly what they're drinking is bordeaux um, sometimes they're drinking a little bit of Napa cab, um, especially the, the, the guys that are, you know, play for West coast teams, but you see a lot of bottle shots of Bordeaux. Um, and you know, and then a lot of other guys commenting about how great those, those wines are, right. You know, you see, you know, like CJ McCollum or JJ Reddick or whatever, all posting Bordeaux bottles. LeBron loves Bordeaux. You know, I mean, he's, he's posting every time he has one of those bottles or, you know, someone from his, you know, team has one of those bottles. So I think, that's been interesting and i wonder if that will help raise the awareness or if it will do if, if it will cause the same problem that zach's talking about which is that yeah but the bottles they are always posting are classified growth bottles right they're not they're not posting you know the, the falon Segur, which i think is a great chateau which probably should have gotten classified and didn't um right that you can still find it like warehouse wine in in union what is it like that not union square uh, come on, Zach. Astor Place, right by. Uh, oh yeah, you probably went there when you were at NYU. And sometimes you Cooper Union. Yeah, like Cooper sometimes Square. you can find in Warehouse Wines Bridge. You can go in and find Falonsegur, yeah. like five or six years old, for like thirty bucks. And you're like, really? This is a really well known winery, you know. But because it doesn't have that 1855 classification, no one thinks they can sell it for as much as they could if it if it did, even if it's not as good of a producer, right? Like as long as the as long as the chateau has that classification even if it's a, a, you know, a withering fourth or fifth growth. And I mean, withering, not in the fact that like, that's bad to have gotten that number. So don't come at me, but that, you know, maybe they, they've only really traded on that classification for the last few decades. You can still sell it for more because it has it on the bottle. Yeah. And that I think is really nuts. Yeah. I mean, look, when I did a tasting group not so long ago uh, for diploma studies, um, we all bought uh, Bur- we all bought burgundies that were from 20 to 150 and pooled the cost. And those wines were fairly across the board, uh, did terrible. 
they did not have a lot of value. I mean, everyone agreed that those burgundies at a lower price point were not as compelling as a similar set of uh, similarly priced wines from Bordeaux. So for my money, I think Bordeaux offers a lot more value at a lower price point, especially 50 and below. I have absolutely no problem saying that because, I mean, I, I will always look for those Bordeaux values and those older bottles in stores. And they always, I mean, I can't even think of one that I found that did not deliver a delicious drinking experience. I completely agree with you. And I think the other thing to be aware of there, and this is this point has been sort of alluded to a couple times by both of you, is age is really important when it comes to Bordeaux. And I think it's one of these things that that is, you know, maybe is part of the reason why Bordeaux has a little bit struggled. Mm-hmm. Because I think when you get um, Bordeaux almost across the quality levels, it's really not a wine that's, that's made to be consumed young. And we just exist in a world where people don't age wine. You know, people don't have wine cellars. You know, Adam, you and I have talked about this on previous podcasts. You know, there's there's reasons for that that are that are totally legitimate. But it does mean that if you're going to go buy a 2017 Bordeaux, I just don't think you're going to get as much enjoyment out of it as you would with a five or 10 or 15 year old bottle. And that's not just for people who love aged wine. I mean, I like older wine. That's not the way everyone feels. And that's totally cool. But even if you like, you know, sort of younger styles wine, Bordeaux just generally, even at the lower price levels, doesn't really reveal itself until it's got at least five or so years of age. And that isn't as much, you know, I think Burgundy is probably overaged by people in general. I think, you know, Pinot Noir as a grape doesn't age as well. Um, That's my hot take, I suppose. Um, And I find that old Burgundy tends to be kind of really uninspiring, even when it is really expensive. Um, and but at, the, but at the same time, I think there's, so I think with Bordeaux, it suffers a little bit from the, the not, uh, from the accurate perception that you have to have older Bordeaux. And if you don't have ready access to that, or you don't have necessarily a really good uh, idea of how to go find that wine without paying exorbitant prices, it can be daunting. Because like I said, if you go buy a 2017 and open it, I think if it's a good Bordeaux, it probably shouldn't be all that enjoyable at that young. It's really not the idea behind the wine. It's just a it's a style and a, and a conception for wine that doesn't mesh with our modern lifestyle in many ways. And it's why it's, it's part of the, the Bordeaux approach that hasn't you know, translated so much to other parts of the world, even if the, you know, the winemaking techniques and the varieties themselves have. I mean, I think, I think you're right. I think that the biggest thing though, to take away from this, which we, we should have given more concentration to that we didn't is Erica's tip, (laughs) which is that basically (laughs) you should be going out. If you want to, you know, if you want to get into wine, you want to get into, you know, especially aged wine, you should be going out to these, you know, wine stores and small towns and you know so we're not talking you know your big box total wines you're not going to find it there you're not going to find it at like aster in uh same place that i can't remember not aster's place right which is also where warehouse wine is um you're gonna find it at these small you know liquor stores wine warehouses etc where you can find these bottles that maybe have languished on the shelves for a few years because people weren't buying them and they have age on them and they're going to be very well priced I think another tip, uh, tip too that I've I've had a success with is if you do have like a a shop that you do go to on occasion, I would ask the you know the owner or someone working there because what I often find you know I found this as a restaurant buyer I found this as just a private consumer as well is that often distributors in in a lot of places will have multiple vintages of a wine um, and Bordeaux is a place where this happens a lot because 
oftentimes they won't fully sell through everything they have. And some distributors will, you know, cut prices to try and move that wine, but others will just hang on to, you know, maybe it's just a few cases. And if you ask and the, when the wine shop is willing to inquire on your behalf, especially if you're willing to buy a few bottles, you might find that a distributor might, you know, the, the current vintage might be 2016 or 2017, but they might have a 2012 or a 2011 or a 2009 or something, uh, or a few knocking around and, and they may be willing to, to work to get you that wine for a reasonable price. It's, it's not, quite as romantic as pulling it off a dusty shelf. But the flip side is you have a better assurance of quality that the wine's actually been stored properly instead of standing sitting in a window for you know True. 10 years. True. Just don't buy it if it's been sitting in a window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well guys, I think this is, you know, this is I hope other people who've listened to this podcast today are convinced that Bordeaux is worth your time. Um, I promise this was not sponsored. <laughs> this is just like, you know, we just really, I do. mean, it should have been, I know, guys, really seriously, come on. CIVB, get at me, but, uh, <laughs> but no, seriously, like this is, it's just, it's, you know, it's a region that I think, you know, it sounds like you guys agreed, you know, doesn't get enough attention. And especially when it comes to value, we're not talking about go out there and look for the 855 classifications and fill your cellars with that stuff. I mean, if you can, good for you. Also like yeah, invite always, us over. Always, <laughs> accepting, you know, always accepting donations of your of your amazing seller. But if you can't, there's so much good stuff. I have one last one last thought I want to add, which is I just this just struck me, which is, you know, when you learn about wine, and I'm sure that for all of us this is true, you start with Bordeaux. I mean, for most of us, the first place you learn about is Bordeaux, right? Whether it's a formalized education or or even a little bit more uh, informal, it's it's often Bordeaux. Maybe you start in Burgundy, but Burgundy is so fucking confusing. I don't think most people start there. And yet, for a lot of people, you start in Bordeaux, and then if you're a even if you're a wine professional, you almost never come back to it. And and that is now that I think about it, sort of sort of bizarre it is well let us know your thoughts hit us up at podcast at vinebear.com love to hear what you think about this topic and others uh drop us lebron tag us in your bottle shots yeah Yeah, seriously lebron tag me in your bottle shots just like (laughs) let me get at that wine and guys i'll talk to you next week talk to you then sounds great thanks so much for listening to the vine bear podcast if you enjoy listening to us every week please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vinepair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vinepair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vinepair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.